Hello, adventurers, and welcome to the Mike Flares podcast. Coming to you from a tavern hearth with my feet up, waiting for the blacksmith to finish my sword. I am your host, Connor. Sorry, I got distracted there for a second. I am your host, Connor O'Brien, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mr. Martin O'Dwyer. Slightly less distracted. How's it going, Connor? I'm doing good. (laughs) Sorry, my brain froze up for a second there and was like, "Um, you forgot how to use your mouth? So, For, For anyone on YouTube, if you ever want to see a human buffer, that's what just happened to Connor. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, I full on saw yeah, the little I, wheel spinning in your eyes, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, twitching just like. Ch- ch- uh, oh yeah. Uh, now that my new uh, update has finished, uh, how are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. It's been a it's been a long week at work, so uh, but it's been a good week for D and D. So I'm tired, but I'm happy. So that's good. Um, been doing some interesting stuff in my campaign. We got we played our our first game of our campaign back after a little bit of a break there, and kind of did a my, what I did on my summer vacation kind of style. Uh, Essentially, so, yeah. <laughs> which actually was a lot of fun and really interesting. Uh, yes, and that's actually what we're here to talk to, and we can jump into that in a minute. But we're actually here to talk about um, what you guys did on your downtime vacation, mm-hmm. uh, and we're talking about downtime today, as you can probably tell from the title of the video. Um, what it is, how to best use it, what it can be used for, uh, and really, this is a, a, a player-focused, well, to DM, I guess, but player-focused uh, episode of the podcast. Um, tell me, what's been happening in your D&D game at the moment, just to or catch just up on general. that? Um, so, I haven't had some downtime recently, but just in general, um, the guys are now progressing through my Wildfire Druids um, like backstory arc pretty rapidly. Uh, the last session I had with them, uh, they're basically on this plotline where they have to take down these like element there's these giant rune stones that i've called elemental anchors that are being used to like anchor i think i said that on the fifth podcast so they're being used to anchor. i think i mentioned a couple weeks ago yeah yeah they're being used to anchor this like giant storm over my uh wildfire druid home, druid's home um his name is mandry uh mandry rather um and so they're, they're kind of they've been going around journeying through the uh the mountains they found one by accident and then uh, uh the druid uses locate objects searches for objects of the same type and discovers that there's three more so they've each week down they basically have been going to a location almost like how um so you know, like the first harry potter movie where it's like there's the key chamber and the chessboard chamber and all this kind of stuff yeah yeah so like there's uh this will come out after we go on something there's four elemental anchors one uh the first one they found was a storm one the next one they destroyed was an air one the, la- the third one uh and most recent one they destroyed is the earth anchor so like uh the storm anchor to channel the storm in that area the air anchor to prevent it from being blown away by, by winds the earth anchor to anchor to the bones of the of the mountains here and then the last one is a fire is a fire anchor to prevent the it's basically to it's all it was already going out but to prevent the um fire geyser that exists in that in that area from like bursting upwards and kind of messing with the storm clouds as well it's all part of the i like uh, i like how you had to stop and think for a second will will am i giving spoilers to my players here because i would have had to cut on that if you were <laughs> yeah no, i i think by the time this goes out i they're like they're literally about to go after the last one now like they ended right, yeah. they, they ended the session after fighting in a gatehouse before the new uh so giants have taken over this area and they built in like a big gatehouse and a big iron and razor wire fence around the um around the thing and they seem to be doing something down in the hole that none of the guys are aware of yet um right so uh, but they haven't found the boss they're like the leader of the boss um his name he's like a fire giant his name is uh brain and the hammer uh and like he's a uh, so they haven't seen him yet so they're guessing he's down in the hole because a giant sized like docking ring has been like smashed into the, the rim of the the big pit and a giant sized rope has been attached to it that leads down into the darkness 
So they're that's where they kind of are at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you talk about a giant pit. I, I for some reason my mind immediately went to that scene in Wild Wild West with with the giant spider coming up out of the the thing. I, I'm not that cruel. <laughs> I don't I don't think I've actually thrown. No, I have thrown giant spiders at him. Yeah, no, I have. None of them are afraid of spiders though, so it's fine. I wish there were bigger spiders in Five E. Ooh. The typical giant spiders, wolf spiders, phase spiders. I think phase are the highest CR, and they only go up to CR three. It'd be cool and I, to have something like I suppose the um isn't there, is it like a star spawn horror or crawling horror? Oh, is this one from uh, Explorers Guide to Wildmount? I'm I, I think so. It might, it might be the star spawn emissary I'm thinking of. But there's there's some like big creepy insectoid ones. Yeah, but there's not like a giant big spider. Like I would love like a shelob in a 5e essentially like yeah like like something that's maybe like a cr 10 or something beefy like that that, that would be fun that would you be know fun. you you could put up against a, a fifth or sixth level party and it would be a serious challenge whereas don't get me wrong uh picking a giant spider that's a challenge rating one or three or whatever it is uh and then putting a, a challenge a first or second level party up against that can still be very very exciting mm. but uh if done right but uh, yeah i'd like some i'd like some big Crap spiders. Oh, I made a curse too early in the podcast. Oh, well, I'll edit it out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that, that, that's... Usually of... it's you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. I, I, I swear like I breathe. <laughs> uh, it's very... It's actually so difficult not to swear uh, either on this podcast or when I'm working and I'm talking to someone because usually I'm like, oh, man, that's fucking classy. And I, I just... <laughs> that was I, I have to do that as well. <laughs> that, was, that, that was one actual swear word, one attempted swear word, and a third almost as well came out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's... Yeah, that's kind of what's been going on now. So they're basically... They can before the storm right now where they're, they're going to have to do a bit of travel to get to it now, but they're, yeah, rapidly approaching the... What shall we say? The final um, conflict of this arc. And yeah, they're... Oh. They're piling out pretty quickly into my endgame plans recent right now, which is a lot of fun just to see some of that, like because I can start to give out some of that lore, I mean, like hint, and I'm certain like more aggressively hint at like further kind of later stage things. I like to do a lot of foreshadowing. Sometimes I'll do it like more kind of subtly, and just put mm -hmm. things in there. Like the first mission my guys went on. I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent now. But the first mission my guys went on. No, by all means. Um. They were going. They found this. We under... have six, 16 minutes before yeah. the twenty minute mark. So yeah. feel free to knock yourself out. <laughs> Sweet, but they found this like underground. Um, they were a child missing. They they went looking for the child in the forest. In the forest, they found um they found that there was a like a, a rupture in the earth, um a, like a huge rupture in the earth from earlier from an earthquake that had happened previously. That they felt when they were traveling there. They go down. They go down inside there because they see is the ruptured earth has revealed like an, a tunnel, an underground tunnel underneath. They follow that, find the temple, and inside that temple, there's like a broken seal. I said it's got all these, all these different words of like chaining and containment and punishment and, uh, like just generally words of binding and containment all inscribed over, but it's been shattered. They find the child inside the temple. They come out and they have to defeat like this shadow wolf that uh, spawns from the broken Ooh. seal, and that was like their first mission. The first mission. Uh, fast forward about ten levels, and they're saving the uh, dragonborn floating island place from uh, the pirates and as part of that they they ruler that island and the head and the ab and the abbot of the monastery invite the both of them to come into this like sacred room where they're going to explain to them exactly the nature of how these islands stay floating and the, the blessings of Batman and all that they come into the room and uh, the temple they're in I describe it like looks exactly like I word for word use the same description as the one I did on their very first nice. mission 
um, and like I could see it in their faces that they were twigging and like then I just started getting more and more blatant when the dead is the more I saw it. and as soon as I got to the seal I was like you see a seal on the ground fully intact with words of like binding and chaining and containment and punishment and imprisonment on it it's completely whole. and when I when I got to that that's when I saw like the penny drop and the, the, the lights come on uh, but I was that was I had to really rely on two players for that because two of my players weren't there at level one. <laughs> yes, because you you know a party change. So the 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 second seal in that in the draconic um, floating island place, yeah. that one was intact, was it? Yeah. So the right. uh, to their knowledge now, uh, one seal has fallen. Uh, so there's four elemental seals. One has fallen. They've saved one, and uh, there's two left that they don't know where they are. Yet. Ah, so the um, so the the potential falling of these floating islands would have meant the seal would have been destroyed that would have been another one lost other way around and um, they would have destroyed the seal and the seal and the energy contained within is what powers and like the, the divine energy used to create the seal is what keeps the islands floating so if the fire seal goes the islands drop out of the sky and into the ocean right okay interesting yeah so it was the, there was if they had lost that fight it wouldn't have gone well for the dragonborn <laughs> no probably not that, that's it that i like stuff like that though where uh like big influential changes can happen in the world that can be particularly fun going from campaign to campaign but mm-hmm. uh, if you if you do utilize the same world because mm-hmm. if something like that happened where you know if they had failed um and the the seal was destroyed or whatever and, and the islands dropped out of the sky into a big pile of rubble and stuff like that in the sea or just sank straight to the bottom you know where, where would all those refugees have gone would, would the next kingdom now have a huge amount of dragonborn refugees showing up would uh would an, another nearby island be invaded and trying to take over as, in an attempt to hold uh, I don't know like take over something and have some land that is yours now that you've lost everything you own kind of thing um yeah it would, would pirates become way more violent and these dragonborn pirates become way more violent and desperate because it's not just that they're stealing to make a living they're stealing to stay alive now you know that mm. could have been, that that could have had huge really cool influences yeah um, and it was that was just kind of when I was that was like the first proper peek at like the end game plot that they got and it was just really cool to see the foreshadowing payoff you know it was something i wrote and i was like when i was writing the first session i was like oh i think this is what the end game is going to be and now i'm here and i'm like oh look i actually managed to keep it consistent kind of yeah i tried to do something like that in campaign one where i had planned that you would meet um the big bad the clockwork man um multiple times throughout the campaign or at least hints that he is around and, and pulling the strings in the background um and early in the campaign you fought you encountered him a couple times which was fine but then i I didn't really have much going on from multiple levels uh and you went off on this other quest the underdark which didn't really have anything to do with it but i knew in my head that there was a time travel plot coming into it and that the clockwork man had gone back in time um and said he knew but he knew everything you guys did to acquire uh, the the shards of arrows, which are essentially the infinity stones, mm-hmm. um, in in that homebrew world I made, um, so he kind of I, I tried to do a thing where like every time you would complete a personal arc, and, and get one of the the shards, um, you would find out that someone or the clockwork man specifically had somehow orchestrated those events because that's how you come to into possession, and he wants you guys to have them. So that they're all in one place, and then he just swoops in, kills you, takes them all at once. You're basically gathering them for him. Mm-hmm. And it didn't super pan out the way I wanted, because, uh, I, again, I, I kind of left a lot of stuff to do with the Clockwork Man to the side for a long time in the middle of the campaign. 
uh, and I tried to kind of shoehorn in a couple of bits and it just didn't really didn't click quite as I, as I would have liked it to but uh, you seem to have a much uh, a much more solid grasp on uh, and foreshadowing uh, with regards to your campaign I know it's I just it's more so like I'll just stick with my ideas and that but I will like mold them around and kind of like change them and, and like the purpose will stay the same but the implementation will change if you get me how do you mean uh so like let's say when i was writing that i was like okay like the, i was like the whole plan would be like oh they have to just they have to stop these force the other seals from falling and if they don't that's when the big big the big bad is going to be resurrected and stuff and so like i'm kind of like similar ish kind of plot line to what i'm going on now without getting into spoiler territory here yeah but like similar ish plot line to what i'm doing now in that they are aware these seals are there and the seals are falling and they need to be protected from the big bad that they're kind of aware of now but uh like that there are more layers now and in terms of like what it means to the story is slightly different now and like what a and like how because like it was a thing where it was like i wrote that first and i, I wrote that going i'm probably not going to come back to this for like eight nine levels which mm. could be literally like two years depending on how 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 and how uh, often yeah exactly happened. yeah so like when it came down to that i was like it was just a thing where i was like i wrote it down i just wrote it down on a whim and i was like you know what I can make like if if at level like nine I'm like you know what I don't I'm not feeling the plan I had for this let's change it up I can just this will just, just be a, a weird thing they saw on a mission you know mm. they won't ever know but uh, yeah I, I was able to kind of thankfully stick with my original idea improve it and kind of work on it and that's uh, when I kind of eventually got to it like that but yeah what about uh, what about yours it's been a lot of fun recently in your in your campaign uh yeah so you guys had a huge um uh, well, it's say, like a mini hex crawl arc there for a little mm -hmm. while. Um, you were basically hired by the resistance to find uh, a, a lord named uh, Christoph Valdrin, um, who was um, response. He's basically like he was Cere kind of in like her, uh, well a, a little bit. If you mix that with um, Lafayette from um, Hamilton and a few other things, um, he's this really eccentric character, but. He was all he's kind of like in in her majesty's secret service almost he worked directly for the queen and he kind of did some like cia level bs i almost curse again i'm gonna try not to uh some cia level bs in other countries in terms of like orchestrating rebellions and stuff like that and right. causing the people to rise up uh, and install new governments and all that kind of jazz um so he's very well versed in that and and the rebel the resistance is all like Go find this guy. If we're gonna start a rebellion, he's the guy who's got the flint uh, to light the light the fire. You know. Yeah. Um. So he went looking for him, uh, and he was at a town called Salaster, which was currently besieged by um by elves uh, and centaurs and stuff like that, who were trying to retake the land from humans, um, who have taken it centuries prior. Um, and he's like, I can't leave the town because the elves, you know, they might destroy the place if I do. I, I, myself and my people are kind of working to keep the town safe. And you were like, okay, look, we'll try and resolve that issue with the elves. The elves asked you to go and clear out a separate section of forest because they're like, we're only here because the forest we actually want to be in is overrun with undead. So then you were like, cool, we love killing undead. Uh, and you went off and, oh my, did you kill some undead? I should have had one of those clickers, uh, little hand clicker things, so that every time you killed an undead, I'd probably be up to well over 100. You, uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, you'd have a sprained fucking thumb just from constantly going... Like, yeah. <laughs> particularly that um, last fight where it was just, like, constant waves of undead coming in with oh, the cadaver collector, like, oof. So, like, you fought 
you cleared <clears> one dungeon, uh, you went, did a bit of a hex crawl, did a couple other sites, met some frost giants and stuff like that, um, went to another site. Uh, I think we talked about it a couple we of did, weeks yeah, ago. We did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where Era turned into a bat and went into the, the furthest chamber without killing any enemies behind him. Bats have one hit point, so he got a slap of, a, of a, an arcane bolt and then hit the ground. And then you guys were like, oh, we got to get the hell in there. So you ran through all the zombies and all the ghouls and everything to get inside. And then you ran past them as well. Mm-hmm. And then you turned around in this dead end room that you're in. And you're like, cool. Now the four of us have to get out of here. <laughs> And uh, and I basically made it so that there was I think there was like close to twenty tokens. Uh, we were using roll twenty. Yeah. I think I had close to twenty tokens on the board. Um, and every time you would kill off these uh, little minion style, I, I did the minion system where I kind of just give them like uh, three or four health points each. Um, and I had multiples of them just swarming in. And every time you'd kill them at the start at the top of every round, I would just take all the tokens that you'd killed previously. And put them back on the board outside the room to represent more and more hordes is coming in. Uh, and it, it was it was a long fight, and oh my god, like you that guys, was uh, it was tense. Literally everything I had in terms of my class features and like relation, but like anything and everything I had from items, weapons to mm-hmm. my class features, I was literally tapped. I think I had a rage left at the end. Yeah, uh, and then and then. Uh, you you well you, you might have gotten out of there. You were kind of getting close to the point where like you might be able to manage this. Um, but then rather than risk it, uh, Wabu decided the the ring of wish that he had with a single wish sword in it. He burnt that wish and he said, "I wish that all of the undead inside and around this temple that we're in were turned to ash." And there was a big flash of green light, and they all just fell away like Thanos style got snapped away out of existence um, and you survived and it was insane it was a long tense <laughs> session and I, there was oh, multiple man. times where like there's multiple times where I was like watching you guys doing stuff and I, I started off and I'm like cool so the zombies will just they'll, they'll amble in and they'll start attacking and stuff and there was multiple times where like I'm like I'm not I'm not in control I, I'm not in control <laughs> of the situation anymore <laughs> like the zombies are going to do this, and I can't stop them because that's what zombies would do. And I'm, I, I, I do not have my hands on the reins right now. <laughs> um, it was very, yeah. very tense. And I remember finishing that and been like, I think we finished that around like midnight. I think I had like, it was a late one. Yeah, I think I had work at like eight a.m. the following day, and I was <laughs> staring at like twelve, lying in bed, adrenaline pumping through my veins, going, "How am I getting to sleep?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, in oh. sessions like that, I tend to, uh, I tend to when i should be going to bed uh and my fiance is already in bed i'm just like i'll I'll be there in a half hour i'm gonna go and clean up some the kitchen or something just to kind of <laughs> take some time to kind of wind down yeah um but yeah and uh you, but you did it uh you succeeded you cleared out the forest the elves were happy they moved away from Celaster. you got christoph aldrin you traveled back to temurai which is where the resistance is currently based um and then you had uh, 16 weeks of downtime, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yeah, four months. Which is uh, yeah. four full months of downtime. Um, yeah, and it went really well. You guys did a lot of different stuff. Uh, you came back this week, uh, and it was a good session. Um, this is probably got... the downtime that I've enjoyed the most. Just like, even though like most of the stuff that came out of it, like, like I okay, I, like I I trained my dog and I made a really cool chariot, which we can talk about either or if you want to in a while. Um, yeah. But like, in terms of like being just incredibly hype about what came out and it not even being for me 
like not even being something something that like i engaged in on downtime but just yeah, catering yeah. around i like i know we're definitely going to talk about that but like oh my god like the guild i'm so excited the guild is just i find like it is exactly like what i want out of it like particularly like that we have squads and stuff now as well oh my <laughs> god i was just like when you were like oh you were this and you were this and then when eric was like okay your your title is this and your title is this and this is your function in the guild that was good he, oh, he didn't tell me that so cool so he, he did not tell me that he uh he i i was going to do that and i'm kind of glad i didn't now because it would have conflicted with him uh gavin did that off his own back and assigned you each um positions within the guilds that you were like the upper management of this particular <laughs> department and stuff like that which is very cool it's very cool uh, i believe i am the hunter general uh wabu is the master at arms uh arkham is the keeper of war- it was either keeper, of, keeper war- of words i think yeah i was gonna say keeper of books but i think it's keeper of words um, and then Aerith is uh, the director, I believe. Uh, director. He, he's going by the director, master director, or something like that. Yeah, he's yeah. the head of the guild essentially. Yeah, but and then we have three squads. Uh, what was it again? Um, uh, Orox squad, yes. Basilisk squad, and Chimera and squad. Chimera squad, and we decided that we are because we are the top tier team in the group. We are the S squad, Spectre squad, which is yeah. Spectre squad. Spectre squad. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was really, really good. You guys, um, you met back up, and we'll talk more about what you completed in your downtime in a minute. Uh, but basically, where you're at in the campaign now, you were uh, you were in the guild hall, mm-hmm. catching up, talking about what happened, what each of you did over your downtime. Uh, you were approached by um, a woman you know named Elise, Captain Elise Patara. She is uh, a captain in the Imperial Army, mm-hmm. who are currently occupying the city that you're in. Uh, and you've worked for her before to... Um, uh, get rid of a a a debauchery and sex cult um, that was running a brothel uh, a brothel slash drug den yeah um, in in the middle of the city uh, and you guys infiltrated uh, killed the ringleaders um, skimmed a little bit of gold off the top for yourselves just if I'm not mistaken tad, just a tad. just a tad. just a couple it was just a small chest worth um, <laughs> yeah look demons had it they were just going to use it for bad things we used it for good things this is true. Uh, and yeah, and uh, because of that, she was like, hey, look, there's been some deaths. There's been a breakout at the sanatorium, uh, multiple um, dangerous magic users, mages and, and the like have broken out. We would like your help catching one in particular. Uh, and she, you guys, uh, you guys and her kind of went around town as a group together uh, investigating a couple different sites. You got to the, the second building uh, um, with, the, with the help, actually, of your newly trained... Yes. Uh, uh, hound we'll talk about that in a second as well and uh and in the attic of this house you found a, a large tall standing mirror i i that, right, uh, can, i'm just gonna stop you right now I, as soon as you said large tall standing mirror i was like something's gonna be fucked up with that mirror <laughs> well you see you say that but i said the word i was watching each of you and i said the word mirror when i described i described the room three times mm. one time when Aerith first went in there one time to wabu when he went upstairs and he's like, uh, and then I think I just said it to Arkham at one point as well, because he's like, are we just in the room by ourselves? And I said, yeah, it's the five of ye, uh, six technically with, with uh, Frost. Mm-hmm. It's the six of ye in the room, uh, standing around, there's like furniture around you, uh, like that. And I, I made a point to say the dresser, the wardrobe, and the mirror each time, mm-hmm. so that I didn't just say, because if I just went, it's a bunch of furniture and a mirror, then yeah. obviously you would know the mirror is the thing I want you to go for. So I, I made sure to say dresser, 
wardrobe mirror every time I described the furniture in the room. The mirror uh, was so that, my like next guess after. Like I think I searched the room and I was like, "It's definitely the mirror now." <laughs> like there's this, this creepy house. Nobody else is in there. There's a dead body in here. It looks all kinds of messed up. There's a, this is yeah. And then yeah. and then something came out of the mirror. And then I knew I was right. <laughs> yeah. So you guys found that the mirror was magical. Uh, had some sort of conjuration magic on it. Uh, turns out it's a portal. Um, and a yep. hand came out of it grabbed a hold of uh, Elise Patara uh, and pulled her in uh, and by you the, guys followed by the ponytail if I remember rightly which must have hurt like hell uh, I don't think I said ponytail but sure that's canon now um, <laughs> why not she got uh, she got a cop by the hair and ripped through her that, hair that was it sorry yeah um, but yeah and uh, yeah that's it so you guys are currently pursuing her into who knows where we're in some uh, kind of giant glass marble slash hourglass that's between Sorted. planes, or, I suspect. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a demi-plane. Yeah, in between, yeah. yeah. Like a demi yeah, a small plane, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's all black rock, uh, swirling grey clouds, desert sands that are pouring from a column, like, hourglass-like, and then pouring off the sides yeah. of this island that you were on of, uh, of stone and rock. And the occasional flash of red and purple lightning, I believe, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and there is... Uh, yeah. So it's like there's constantly a, a slow tide of sand that is making its way from the center out to the outsides and pooling off the sides and stuff like that. But that's uh, that's where you're at in the campaign. Uh, prior to all this, though, Martin. Yes. You you guys had some really exciting downtime where you each got to do quite a lot. You had a good you had a good level in the game mm-hmm. because you've had downtimes a couple times previously, or at least once previously. Yeah, we have one, uh, one significant one previously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in that in that downtime period, you were only like level five or something like that. You didn't have, you didn't have a ton of money. It wasn't. I don't think it was particularly long. It was definitely shorter than this one because this one was, was four months. I think it was three months last time. Yeah. So this and this one's four months. So you had more time to do things as well. But also this time you have way more money and resources and mm-hmm. connections, and you know the world better. So and you're at level eleven, so perfect mid game. You have good amount of money, good amount of resources, and all this stuff, and you're in a place where you can actually do some. You can be proper movers and shakers. Um, so you managed to get some really cool stuff done. Martin, why use downtime? Honestly, just to break it up for your players and to make things easier for you as well. Because like, if you're a DM and like you're just constantly trying to pump out like new, exciting, fresh action content, everything like just constantly, you're gonna burn yourself out so fast. And your players, yeah, we're not, we're not Kevin Feige, like. yeah. <laughs> but also like your players um will probably get sick of it as well and like things that would be special like if you run four weeks solid of combat combat isn't going to feel that special anymore like everything yeah so it's it's like that cycle so you know, everything in moderation or everything in balance uh just yeah. go back to thanos again balance is, as all things should be yeah uh, <clears throat> but yeah um that it's it's a way that you can narratively and mechanically push the game forward without like actually having to do like sessions and you can just give your players license as well to go ape and just explore what they want to explore about the world like if you're playing in a regular game and someone's like i want to go here and the rest of the group are like i don't want to go there i want to go here normally that person the one person who's on the opposite end of the boat is just like okay cool i guess we'll get around to my thing later maybe 
if you're in downtime, yeah. that person can actually go on a one-person mission and go off and research and doesn't have to contend with, well, in re- realist- well realistic speaking, if you went off on your own in the game of D&D, you're traveling down the roads, you're probably going to get like mugged by bandits or attacked by a bunch of zombies or and then action economy. And even if you're like level eight, you're going to die. <laughs> like, uh, so it's, yeah, like, true. So it's that kind of a thing where like, yeah, journeying on your own in D&D, if you were to play it out mechanically as the game should be, not safe. You will die. You will get murdered. Um, but like in downtime, you give your players the opportunity to really like dig into your world and as well just kind of come up with cool stuff on their own. Like I, I know we've talked about it a bunch of times, but like my players have been like super good about like uh, crafting things and just making them like, no, they're also just like dismantling the corpse of any monster they fight now. <laughs> like, like if, like if, if you ever seen that real, thing uh, where, real monster hunter world stuff there. Like. Oh dude, it's more like, do you ever see that thing where like the fire ants come along? And there's like a there's like a just oh, like a yeah. dead cow, and then all the ants sweep over it, and then like a couple of seconds later, time lapse of it. Yeah, and seconds later they like sweep back, and it's just like it's just bones. That's what mm-hmm. my players are starting to like now with monsters. Like they kill the fire giant this week in there, and like my uh, my rogue just goes, "What about a foot? Can I take off a whole foot?" And I was like, "Yeah, and you know if you tilted it this way instead of flat, you could actually probably fit it into your bag of holding as well." And he was mm-hmm. like, "Ah, yeah." you know so that kind if of I, if i'm not mistaken um when it comes to potions of of fire of giant strength it's usually the toe now. is the specific ingredient yeah, yeah. That, that that yeah <laughs> that's literally why they're doing it yeah um but yeah it's that's a full five potions right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah ten to people but uh yeah it's it's uh, like i just like what it offers the game it offers the game another dimension where like most of the time yeah, D&D is a collaborative storytelling game, basically. But the DM shapes... It's, like... I'd say, like, 80-20, probably. For, like, in terms of, like, input input on how yeah. the story unfolds. No, not how it unfolds, but, like, the setup of the story in, in DM to player. And that the DM will generally have an overarching story they want to tell. And then what you and then you'll get backstories from players, and you will just kind of Lego them together. Or Voltron them together is a probably, better, probably a better way to put it. And yeah. just kind of, and that's kind of how you adapt your story. You will have a world, and a spoiler for anyone who's thinking about being a DM and hasn't, and you have this idea that you'll have this is my story and all these things. You will have a story, you will have a world, and you will build out all your worlds. And then you'll talk to your players, you go, Hey guys, what do you want to play? And then one of your players will come down and be like, I want to play an old man with a ton of piercings whose weapon is an electric guitar. And now I did steal, just steal that character from Jujutsu Kaisen, but I'll have no judgment on that from anyone listening. No, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, so, and very much no homebrew world survives contact with a party. <laughs> yeah, like, I think, was, was it you that was saying? It was like, there were no, like, like Celtic-style barbarians in my world in any way. And then I just happened to come along and be like, I'd like to play this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, th- I think I had some idea. I had ideas about what, um, about what... King, I knew I knew there'd be a human kingdom there. Yeah. I hadn't really fleshed it out. I think they were meant to be a little bit barbarian-ish, but not like terribly so. And then you were like, "I want to play Ku Colin as a character," and I'm like, "Well, I guess they're they're mad <laughs> Celtic warriors then." <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like. And I think my best example of that is like I didn't have Tabaxi in my world, and then I got a new player who was like, "I'm going to be a Tabaxi wildfire druid," and I was like, "There is a tribe of mountain-dwelling Tabaxi druids." on this now that previously mainly giant area but okay because <laughs> that, that, cougars that's, and mountain cats that's we're kind of that's been off the topic of downtime but in Sorry, terms of world yeah. building 
totally let your I was I wasn't correcting you sorry. Uh, but like totally let your players um, inform the the world because like that's one example right so Kelda who which is the country you, your your character has come from um is a Celtic Celtic Viking ish kind of meld um uh, but I didn't have a country like that in my world I do now specifically because you guys kind of like you you specifically made a character and I'm like that's a cool thing you made it that he had tattoos um uh and that he was kind of like again Celtic kind of style to him uh, and that his tattoos are very specific to his clan and and he was from the hound clan specifically and all that and I'm like oh so there could be like, other animal clans and stuff so like that entirely informed the creation of Kaelda as a country for me there was also another um one where for a one shot my friend Aaron I think I talked about it before in the podcast my friend Aaron yes, played, yeah, yeah. was looking at the characters he can play and he kind of wanted to play um a Shikamaru style character so he saw Shadow Monk and I'm like yeah absolutely and instead of picking human or elf or anything like that he was like and I think I'll play this Earth Ganassi thing and I was like oh okay yeah sure no one ever plays Earth Ganassi but I'm totally down for it because uh, I think I, I love Earth That's Ganassi, true, I love all Ganassi. I, I've literally never seen an Earth Ganassi yeah uh I, and I think all the Ganassi races are so cool um but yeah so he's like I'll play an Earth Ganassi uh Shadow Monk um and out of that became the creation of this uh the city of the city state of Kiaoyang, which is up in the northern mountains it has the single largest archive of information anywhere in the world and um, because all of these shadow monk uh informants basically go out to the world collect information and send it back home so it's it they're essentially like the internet of the world they gather information and this is the central hub uh, of all that information um but that, that entire city only exists because of a, a character Aaron played in a one shot, and I'm like, that's really really cool. I should just like incorporate that into the world somehow. Yeah. Well, anyway, to get back onto the point I was making before I went on a wild tangent about players downtime. changing your DM thing. The reason I, I went on that tangent is because it's in downtime gives your players an opportunity to, to share in a bit of that world shaping. They can say, I want to go and quest for this, and again, similarly, it appears in your world. <laughs> you know, unless it's something yeah. you really don't want to want to include in your world um like they can do stuff like they can go on journeys they can there's so many options open to you in downtime that mm -hmm. just i think it just it, oh it's almost like it adds a new pillar to the game do you know um because you've got your like role uh, exploration and social um mm -hmm. and, and, and combat or whatever and i think like downtime is just another element in when you can add into that almost that just like yeah it really gives your players a lot of latitude and ground to just either set stuff off or stuff up for when your downtime ends or like just to really dig into their character or just build cool shit build cool shit <laughs> just checking uh but yeah you just build cool shit for the for just for the just because you want to that's like i think that yeah. is maybe one of my favorite things in D D. because like if you play like final fantasy 7 if you want the ultimate weapon there's only one ultimate weapon it looks real cool there's lots of real cool stuff but at the end of the day if you want the best weapon in the game it's the ultimate weapon in D D, you can just be like i want I want a gun that shoots electrified bats. And I you, like it. And you could legitimately go and build that. You just need to kill the right combination of, of monsters in D&D. &D. And that's why yeah. I love downtime. Because you can do insane shit like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's Like you said, it, it lets the players... I mean, that's, downtime is kind of like... A lot of the, the game, primarily, is uh, it's exploration, combat, and social... But that's all presented by the DM, and then the players kind of react to it and how they see fit. And the players have a, a certain amount of um, uh, 
autonomy and uh, and agency when it comes to that as well they get to choose how they resolve these conflicts these issues and, and these challenges that the dm puts in front of them downtime is kind of the one time in game that the player or that the dm might say absolutely nothing other than what do you want to do there's no prompts there's nothing you have x amount of free time go nuts uh, and then the players really get to to involve themselves you mentioned about going and exploring different parts um uh, arkham on the first downtime uh, segment actually went to that city Garyon. he went there and he did some research there um which is a, th a thing you can do you can look up information or try to find information in kind of like uh gandalf in fellowship when he goes Very to Minas Tirith uh, and he's there in the in the archives pooling through all the the old uh, parchments and stuff you can go looking for information about stuff and then the dm and it's a great way that the dm doesn't have to um the dm does not need to kind of find a way in the story for you to stumble across the right information for the plot to continue yeah if a player is really interested in a particular storyline and goes, okay, we know they're hanging out in a place called, I don't know, Dark Keep. We got to find where Dark Keep is. Cool. You go to the archive. You rank a check. If you get a successful check, the DM's like, there was one mention of Dark Keep, and it's actually a ruined fortress. Uh, up, uh, it, it actually goes under its elvish name, but commonly it's known as Dark Keep, and it's up in the mountains uh, to the northeast or something like that. Mm. And then that progresses the plot, and the DM gets a valid way of granting you that information because you actively went looking for it um, and it's it's a, it's the only time the players get to they get to be because it's always a case of the dm says something and the players say yes and the players react to the thing the dm has presented them which now is the reverse of that the players yeah. get to go i want to build this or i want to go here i want to learn this and then the dm gets to go cool we'll roll some of this and we'll you'll spend some gold on that and we'll, we'll do the thing you want to do cool so what you're saying is downtime is the reverse uno card of dnd <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> hit him with that reverse uno uh yeah, yeah. No, i would agree though yeah that's totally yeah um i think yeah it's just it's just also just a lot of fun like it's it's i don't know there's something very like um almost like cowboys and indians about it that i love in that it's just it's this total like yeah, where do I want to go? What do I want to do in this whole wide world? Like it's like starting off. Um, it's like starting off like a really good. Uh, I know it's an MMORPG, but um, a really good open world game. It's like where like trying yeah. kind of, do you know, it's like it's like that moment in the most recent God of War, where um, do you know, in the trailer and you know, like the, it's in the, I think it's no, it's in the most recent God of War where you kill. I think you kill a stag and then like uh, or and, and you know kind of have a moment where after you kill it. And then like a, yeah. dra a dra but then like a dragon flies overhead and flies off into the distance and Kratos and Atreyu just look up at it and watch it pass and it's like that oh what doesn't the fog kind of dissipate or something like that you see the size of the world am I, oh. am I misremembering that uh oh yeah that's it because uh, uh, as you progress through the game you change the water level in this giant lake and you unlock more and more places as, yeah. the, as the world serpent moves and because of his shifting of his body weight this uh, yeah, yeah. Is more or less water um but like with stuff like that, it's it's kind of that feeling where it's like you just feel the whole world open in front of you, and you're like, oh, I have so much I can do, and mm -hmm. you almost have that like, yeah. I think I think I actually did notice people with downtime, particularly the first downtime, and I think it's something that DM should probably watch out for. The first time you give your players downtime, they're probably gonna get a, uh, some of them at least anyway, probably get a case of the old analysis paralysis, where they're like, I have so many options what do i actually oh do? yeah i get you you know and that like and they're like oh I, I could do this 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 and this and so like i found at least my with um, my guys particularly the guys who are newer to D D, when i was like okay downtime you can do anything you want 
here I, I i literally listed out all the options here's all the options you for for what you could do i have rules for all of this we can do this if anything mm -hmm. on this on this that you see on this that like is there, that you want to do that isn't on this list let me know we can work it out with a combination of all the other rules you know, yeah, yeah. Way. um and i think yeah just when you're the first time you give some downtime to your players particularly if you're newer to the game i think it, you probably have to give them a little bit more of a guiding hand and be like hey you could make a magic item you could do this you could do that you know maybe kind of like uh you, you may have to make some suggestions but if i find i found then with the second downtime the players are much more like oh so I, you, you said last time we can do this this and this i want to do this i have these monster bits i have these this item whatever you know yeah i didn't uh, i didn't use downtime at all in the first campaign we did um, and I don't, I don't think it was it was hugely hugely detrimental, no. Um, no, but I did think that um, that using it this campaign gave you guys some opportunities to do some stuff. Like I said, you got to like. Uh, well, what did you do? What did you do your first camp? Your first downtime actually. I I, my first downtime, I made the chain of returning for my spear, and I mm -hmm. made um, I made the hound armor. I made the the blackened uh, uh, place cane armor. Yes, that's right, Chip. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a relatively short amount of time, but yeah, you got some cool stuff done, and like your character still wears that armor, or at least the helmet of that yeah, armor. Yeah, the, the helmet still wears the helmet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I picked up a set of adamantine a while back. That kind of you did. Yeah, I couldn't pass up. Uh, but you did that, and I mean, the chain is something you use pretty regularly. The chains, um, actually, the chains the chain, saved our ass a while back. The, that the chain was pretty clutch <laughs> in that thing when you went down into the temple with all the undead, because you managed to chain the outer door, so you only had to fight what was inside the temple and not what was outside potentially coming in. Yeah. So that, it, it absolutely came in, in clutch for that one. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah they wrapped it between the doors and, ha and put a, a pitten for climbing down between all the links so it wouldn't unwrap. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was, yeah, that was a blind panic. I need, oh, I'm a barbarian. I can't cast spells. What can I do? I can be a nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can just chain this up as tightly as possible. Yeah. Um, and then what did you, what, what kind of stuff did you do? I know this. Yeah. I'm asking for the audience, Martin. Um, what kind of stuff did you do for the current downtime that we just yeah. finished? So second time around, like you said, we have more options available to us now. We have more money. We're a higher level. We have more connections. Know more about the world. And so because that, I, and obviously as well in that time, new rules came out. Uh, specifically, probably, do you want to talk about Frost first? Oh yeah, sure. Whatever you want to yeah. go with, yeah. Uh, so uh, the major goal of my downtime originally was to do specifically because uh, psychics came out in between the last downtime we had and uh, in Tasha's, and I wanted to have because my character is from the Hound Clan. I thought it sounded completely, and they're like a very martial kind of uh, mar martial kind of people. So it was like, they're the Hound Clan. Of course, they have war dogs, and mm -hmm. like psychics came out, and I was like, oh, you could literally pick like a direwolf or whatever as your like fighter sidekick. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, absolutely. Let's go with the war dogs. You said, yeah, we we could do it next time. So I basically spent this entire trip, this, the majority of my time for this downtime, uh, like training my. Uh, I have a, why can I not remember? A, a Valinar hound. Valinar, a Valinar hound. Yeah, I have a Valinar hound named Frost, um, who is bonded with me. And yeah, I basically, uh, prior to downtime, I commissioned some scale armor for him, and then over the course of downtime. I basically, yeah, we, we narratively said that, like, I, I trained him for months to, like, fully train him up as a war dog, and now he's yeah. an 11th level uh, fighter. Um, uh, fighter warrior, fight, isn't it? Warrior, sorry, that was a warrior or something. It's like, a, it's a, warrior, it's a warrior psychic, psychic thing. And he's a tank! <laughs> <laughs> he is, he, you have scale armor, really, for him. Yeah, he's, he is, he's got 101 hit points, 17 armor class. Yeah, but 17 for the scale, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, 
11. Does he have three attacks? He gets extra attack as well. Two, I think. He's he's only. I think I think I think he's actually. Draw, like I have I have a statue here on on my um. In my yeah, notes. just I'm thinking like because it's Tasha's. Do um. In Tasha's, do they get uh extra attacks when they're a warrior in the same way the fighters they, do? They do indeed. Yeah, they do. Um, so at eleventh level, he probably would have uh three attacks in that case. He, I think, I think he, get, I think they get it at slightly different no no, it is extra attack two comes in at fifteen. Yeah, yeah fifteen. Yeah, he's actually he's he so he has he does have two attacks now. But yeah, oh, he's got eighteen strength, fifteen con, a hundred, a uh, hundred and was it like one hundred and seven HP? Um, yeah, seventeen base armor armor class and a speed of forty, and uh, his bite attack while being only common does have an attached uh, strength save of sixteen, or he's pinning you to the ground. <laughs> I'd always love that about all all dog um. Well, dog creatures in D and D yeah. have that thing where if they if they bite you, they can potentially knock you to the ground. Um, well, it's, yeah, yeah, he's really good. He's a defender as well, so he uh, it, it narratively it made sense because like my whole my, I'm an ancestral barbarian, so all my stuff is like I give disadvantage on attacking my allies. So like he, I pick the martial role of the defender for him, so he can use his reaction to impose disadvantage on an attack role if he's beside an ally. Uh, so like if someone That's tries to attack in that so like I, it, it just felt very appropriate for like the kind of style of barbarian I am to like have a dog that does something similar I thought it would be really cool and then he mm -hmm. just gets cool stuff like second wind improved critical battle readiness and, and one use of indomitable is what he got at 11 which is so good and what's really cool as well is you can choose what uh, saving throws you have so naturally I went uh, dexterity <laughs> yeah naturally <laughs> yeah so he's got a plus six as dex save as well uh, yeah it's you would be shocked how good like some lower level monsters are for like martial sidekicks once you actually are able to start layering some levels on them oh and he can dash as a bonus action because of his um bond his uh valinar gift that's right actually yeah yeah it's um he, he's he's incredibly it's essentially a whole other party member yeah um, it's, it's like a it's like they kind of scooped out the simplest but also some most streamlined and best features of like fighter and barb and smashed them together to make the yeah, warrior yeah because yeah, I don't think he has resistances, but yeah, like he gets a lot of really good stuff, um, in in that there, and yeah, so yeah, I spent a lot of the time doing that, and it was, it was something I just had wanted to do for a while now. I think like months ago, I was like, could Lug get a dog, and you were like, yeah, I think I got it. I may have actually gotten him the previous downtime, I think, or just before the previous downtime. You got no, you got him after you guys won the broom race because it. you went shopping that day, oh, yeah. and you went to a place called Breeders Boutique. Um, in Temurai, where they were, they was a pet shop essentially, uh, and that's where you bought them from. A, I believe a half elf gentleman. I think so. If yeah. I remember right, I believe so. Very flamboyant is what I remember. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. He's, yeah. I I could have imagined him as someone who'd be really into like dog shows and uh, and stuff like that. Crofts and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's it's super dope because like I as, like I said it's something I wanted to do for ages. Um. There and like I think it was like partly partly inspired as well by like a book I was reading where like. There was a specific, uh, like there was a specific element of their forces that were made up of these like mages. They were more like druids, but they could like join their wills with like wild animals and like such like an animal companion. And they would yeah. and they would like and they all had these like gigantic mastiffs that were like fully armored. No, it was mastiffs. It was like wolfhounds that were fully armored in place. And uh, but like they would like the the mages could put like their mind in the in the in the hound's body. So like you would be fighting these things and like your infantry line starts up with like a shield wall and then like nine gigantic wolfhounds fully decked out in plate armor just smash through your front lines 
like with like the physical characteristics of this gigantic dog covered in metal but the me- yeah. but like the mind of a veteran warrior so it's like it's basically like a bulldozer a sentient bulldozer that knows how to fuck up battle formations <laughs> like, and I was like that's like, uh, so cool yeah, like kind of like wargs in, uh, in Game of Thrones where you can inhabit, you can inhabit the mines that, that's kind of exactly what it is they're called will casters in, um, in, mm. in this book there they can because you can cast your will into the different things but yeah it was a uh, that was kind of part of his part yeah and it's just it was just such a cool idea as well and to do and like Kukal had like three hounds that he just released on people when he fought them so I was like yeah let's let's just keep leaning into that myth let's just I lean all the way until we're basically uh, completely horizontal let's keep going but yeah that was that was that was that one and then I also um, if, you want, if we were done talking about psychics or, or is there anything else you wanted to ask about that no no I mean like Frost was a, a big one because I know you got it, like you said, the broom. You got them just after the broom race. That was only two or three sessions after the previous downtime. Yeah. And then we were a few months playing and stuff, and you'd been planning uh, for some time to take the time in order to train them up correctly. So um, that that's that. Honestly, that's one of the best things. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I, we had a, an episode we did earlier um, in the podcast where we talked about sidekicks and yes. how they may play out. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Frost will work with, within the balance of the party. You know, will it be a serious buff to the strength of the party? Or, or you know, will it be OP? Will it be underpowered? Like, what will it be? You know, and, uh, but I do think that given the, the HP, mm. the, the armor class, the, the attacks he gets, uh, the, and having Indomitable and a few other kind of features of that from Fighter and Barb, uh, makes, makes, uh, makes him really, really good. Like, if, I, I'm, I think in combat he'll be exceptionally good. Even, uh, I said this last night, I did a night when we were playing, uh, having a, a dog or a hound or a wolf in the party of some kind is so good because they all get advantage on their perception yes. checks for, uh, for smell. Um, and it makes tracking in the party super super cool like so yeah we actually used that in our in our session this week where we were trying uh-huh. to we were trying to like locate and escape murder so i had frost uh like look look for their their scent basically and yeah around the crime scene yeah i was able to find it lost it but then we basically we, when we did find the right place we knew it was the right place because he was able to because uh, he knew what the scent was he he's like the scent is here yeah and yeah. like yeah that's like everything I, like everything i wanted out of that was like absolutely aside like I have the dog and like like hunting to hunting stuff down with the dog and we did like a an almost like a rainbow succeed style like breach and clear of the house where like yeah. for us and like but he's particularly cool as a sidekick because he's a Valner hound so he can telepathically communicate with me from like a hundred feet away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just so cool to be like, okay, we're gonna go into this house and then like Lug just looks down his I just down at his dog and just goes, Seek and destroy in Elvish and the dog's like, Okay, I know what this means. So like specific commands. Yeah, yeah. And he got went off like searching for the scent and stuff. Uh, that was just so dope. Yeah, I, I'm I'm loving how he's playing so far. We haven't actually taken him into a proper fight yet. Uh, well, actually, next week probably will. Just judging by how the previous session ended. Um, but yeah, 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 exactly. I'm I'm very like he doesn't do a lot of damage, but I think he'll be very useful. Like he's only got he's only got the bite attack, and I think that's like a D six plus four. Uh, it's not huge, but even then, like I mean that. This does make a saving throw against that, I believe. Yeah, they, if they did make a save against it, but as well, like it's it's not magical, so like there, there, there's a bunch of creatures yeah. now where he just won't be able to hurt them, but he'll be able to pin them down, which is like super cool anyway. Yeah, or he'll grant flanking, or he'll also be an additional damage sponge. He'll be able to take some hits and distract from the rest of the party and oh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, he, I do, I do think he'll be a a substantial, even if he's not doing a ton of damage. I do think he'll be a substantial. Yeah. Um, just as another target, or, just even as another target. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all about the action economy, like. Yeah. And if he if he if he is dividing some of the enemy attacks into himself, and and you guys are taking less as a result, 
that means you stay standing for longer. That means you do more hits and stuff. So it does work out that uh, damage wise, in kind of indirectly, uh, damage wise, he will uh, he will benefit the party. Yeah. Uh, you also made a particularly interesting magical item. Yeah. Using uh, scrap metal from a cadaver collector. Yes, this was the other thing that I've been annoying you about for months. Uh, <laughs> literally, like the two things I've been just not giving up on shouting on about for this campaign were I want a dog and I want a flying ghost horse chariot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah sorry so like partly inspired by just if you've ever read uh, a thor comic and seen any uh seen any scenes of him from before he was an avenger where he's just like a party boy god he i think he does still have it sometimes but most of the time he flies by mjolnir in, in modern times but like he's got like this chariot that's pulled by two giant goats and it just it's so cool and so ridiculous that i was like you know what i want and i want that for a log and also and then I was like, that'd be cool. And then I immediately thought of like Hades' chariot from yeah. uh, Hercules because it's just this big like black metal evil looking thing that like pulled him through the sky. With the, I think his were like horses with bat wings or giant bats or something. It's been, I should so, really know. Horses with bat wings, I want to say. Yeah, yeah it, that would make sense as well considering you know, the Pegasus as angel wings and stuff. But yeah, I wanted something mm-hmm. cool like that. And finally you were like, yeah, you could probably adapt a cadaver collector's metals to like summon ghostly whore horses instead of like the horrible ghosts that would kill you kind um and yeah that was really cool so what i i, I kind of half i i was one i knew i wanted to fly in ghost horse area but then i remember there's an old irish myth and here's where you can play your mike flair's bingo where i bring up irish mythology um mm-hmm. but in irish mythology there is uh there's a thing called the quish Bower, which means the death coach and it is summoned by the cries of the banshee so the banshee appears outside the house of someone who is about to die um specifically with an o surname or o or max surname i believe um, and when they're about to die, she'll cry, and the cry of the banshee summons the Krishnabauer, and the Krishnabauer, uh, in Irish mythology, basically appears like a like a like a stagecoach or like a, an old style like horse drawn hearse, um, and it's driven by a doolan, uh, like the, the actual coach driver is like a headless horseman, and uh, the the legend says that when the Krishnabauer is summoned forth from the afterlife by the by the cries of the banshee. Uh, it can it, it it will never it will not return back to the afterlife until it has claimed a soul to bring back with it. And I was like, that's a dope concept for a chariot, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I made this like crazy giant like black iron and bronze chariot with like uh kaled runes, which is like the language of the country my character is from. Uh, runes like engraved into it in silver, and they're like runes of like strength, protection, and terror. Uh, and so like the the command word is Ardu, which is I- the Irish for rise. And uh, when you say that, it summons basically two. Imagine like ghost rider horses, but they're like kind of pale green instead of blue, and they're just like all skeletal and kind of and also ephemeral. Uh, but yeah, that that's what I will. And it uh, yeah, it's a chariot that will go uh, pulled by the two war horses that will go sixty feet, uh, either through the land or through the skies. And I am so freaking happy about it. Oh my god, I love it so much. It's so cool. I literally feel like a heavy metal death god riding through the skies. It is exceptionally cool. It felt it felt really thematically um I know you wanted it for a while. I kind of without thinking about it, put the cadaver collector in as a, a monster for you to face off against. Um but then the cadaver collector has this uh recharge on a D six ability where it can summon uh I forget it's a it's a Spectres, dice I think. plus Spectres, yeah, it's yeah. it's a D6 plus two or something like that. Because it Spectres. scared the fuck out of us when it did that at the end of the boss fight. <laughs> yeah, uh, you were kind of getting close to the end, and then it summoned all the Spectres to kind of almost to buff back up the bad guy side. Um, luckily, when you destroy the 
the thing it does get rid of those as well yeah. and when you destroy the cadaver collector but i mean it's, it seemed fitting that you would then be able to use parts of the cadaver collector to summon spectral horses instead of actual specters and mm. um, so i kind of like that that worked out um but yeah it ended up it's, it's a really really cool you haven't got a chance to use it just yet yeah but um i mean you're gonna cover a lot of ground very fast with that. yeah oh i'm so excited it's so like it's not like a combat thing although i technically i could use it in combat i just wanted it because it was cool like literally and that's probably again that's why i was saying earlier that's like literally probably my favorite thing about D is that I, one day i literally just went i want a flying chariot like just out of the blue one day i was like you know what yeah. i want a flying chariot and then months later and then like, i deserve it i deserve a flying chariot i work hard i deserve a flying yeah. chariot. <laughs> yeah i i i cut i cut off half a necromancer's hand give me my chariot uh but yeah i was it was just something i wanted to make for ages and it's probably my favorite thing with D is that there are so many cool like magic items and other things in the in the books that we have and in the source books and like the materials we can pull from normally but like but there's no flying chariots there are well there is there's one in theros it's just not not anywhere near as cool as mine oh never mind so uh, that's what we based it off man <laughs> You're it is saying. yeah sorry i forgot <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's just that like, i thought i had something else in my head about what we based it off yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it, i just find it very cool in D D. like as as much as the spread of awesome magic items and stuff you have there if you really want something unique you can just go out there kill the necessary thing bring it back and find someone either you a party member or an npc with the necessary skills and you can make something literally one of a kind that's just super dope absolutely and they're like that's, I think that's what you've done. You trained up Frost and you... I trained up Frost. I built the Christian Bower. I did some research on King Eric as well. Um, oh, yes. And then I also, and then also took the took a trip with Aerith up to uh, Owen's grave to see if he could give psychometry that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, got a lot yeah, absolutely. You really did. You really got a lot done. Uh, I mean, like, those are... that. What that That's like three of the things. Well... Knockout, I uh, would say, we're talking about Xanathar's and the revised downtime rules, uh, which is what we primarily used. Yeah. And um, that's like three out of those four things, that's three of them are, are in that. Um, obviously, the traveling around we mentioned earlier on, you can you can go and visit places and, and learn more about them. And it's a good way for you to experience the world without necessarily having to drag the party the whole way there for a quest or whatever. Um, you talked about uh, crafting a magic item. Uh, which is something that you can do in your in your downtime. It's all listed in Xanathar's. You crafted that yourself. Yeah, because um, I, uh, I have Smith's tools and I have and yeah. barbarians have proficiency with all land vehicles, I believe. Uh, I don't know if it's barbarians. It might be your background potentially, but yeah, I, it was either my my class or my background or my yeah yeah. I proficiency with land vehicles, so yeah. We, you said it was totally cool for me to make just a badass chariot. Like it's it's yeah, like it's, it's primarily metal and stuff. So I'm like yeah, by all means, blacksmith's tools will work just fine. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. To be fair, Martin it is just, also very metal. Martin just made a metal hand gesture when I said that. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, it for is. those for the audio listeners. Um, oh. But yeah, I mean, cra so crafting a magic item is one thing that you can do uh, mm -hmm. with downtime. Uh, you also mentioned training frost as well. We were kind of light on rules with that one because there's no specific rules. Yeah. Where uh, I, I have to double check the as uh, as written, touches. it just happens. It just joins the party at whatever ever level. Yeah, so we, we just kind of worked it in um, that in the time you were spending with Frost, you taught him a few tricks and, and, and stuff like that. I think you had his armor for her mid separately and stuff then. Yes. And there is training options here uh, for downtime in Xanathar's as well. Uh, let me see here now. Uh, you can learn a language or a tool proficiency. Uh, mm -hmm. It takes at least 10 work weeks uh, yeah. at a gold cost. But I mean, like, that's really cool. I mean, languages, 
a hit and miss a little bit when it, depending on the campaign you're playing in uh, languages can be either really really useful or really really not um but uh, at dual proficiencies i find are fantastic particularly like you you could spend 10 weeks over over a downtime period pick up thieves tools i mean thieves tools come up so often like and, and everyone can use them from the from the sneaky rogue to the not so sneaky barbarian sometimes you do need to be able to to pick a lock quietly and stuff like that and uh, or disarm a trap yeah um and thieves tools are great to learn but other things other things as well like you might want to just have um maybe you want to be able to craft a magic item you said you have smith's tools already if you didn't though you could have spent the first downtime learning how to use smith's tools and the second downtime using them to then craft a magic item that required smith's tools yeah absolutely. um so i mean that's really, that, that, those are two options you also mentioned uh what we said training crafting a magic item uh you research. did oh you did some research as well yeah. there's also research rules there as well I've, uh, I've you get like a bot. fairly extensively used the research rules in my campaign because my guys have, have spent a lot of time in the city with a really good library. So they've done, mm -hmm. they've probably done research, not even necessarily as downtime, but just like they'll go there and like they, the way I set it up is that like you can go to the library and go, I would like, it's almost like you'd nominate someone to do the research in your stead. So like a, like a cleric of the of, of the library will come up and gotcha. be like, okay, what, what are you interested in? I'll go look for these for you. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, you can add, you know, you can do the thing where, like, with the research, you can spend, uh, I think it's 50 gold a pop to give uh, a plus one bonus. It is, it's 50 gold initially, and then 100 gold uh, for every week spent beyond the first week. And for every extra 100 gold you spend, you get a plus one bonus to the roll up to a maximum of six. Yeah. Plus six. Yeah. So, like, I, I, found, I found that these rules actually work, like, really, really well. Um, mm -hmm. And I think they say, like, you know, if you get this amount, you get, like, one piece of lore. This amount, you get two. This amount, you get, like, three or more pieces of yeah. lore. Um, I really like that because you can roll like that introduces the thing of like not everyone's going to get you get three pieces of lore and you get three pieces of lore and I feel like that makes it feel like more of an adventure or more realistic that it'd be like okay everyone is looking for these wild subjects in the library this is like you could find a lot on this particular subject because it's it's from this region you could find a little a little less so but still like decent because it's the subject you're looking for is from like a region that this region had conflict with years ago so we do have mm -hmm. some so you can do stuff like that and I, I really like that and then like some people are like okay you're looking for something like really obscure and like related to like the foundation of the universe so we found like a mention of this in an ancient one ancient holy book for you but it's a passing mention you might need to do more you know yeah yeah I, I i think like it's it's fun with that and like you can set up storylines through research really easily and really well so I, I actually really like the research um downtime yeah no it's great i do like the way they they use it so it's either if you get like a one to five it's no effect but every five beyond that it's either you learn one piece two pieces or three pieces of lore i like that they've quantified it because how much lore you give someone is kind of can be a vague term you know depending on the role like how do you gauge how much someone gets for 15 versus how much they get for 17 you know yeah. like it's uh the fact that you can be like here are three facts about what the thing you're asking about one two three go you know yeah i'll usually, um, I, I'll usually count like uh, if someone's wondering about how much they, you might want to write for that as well for me personally when i'm doing this if i'm doing like a, a lower role for someone and they've done like i'll do like i'll consider like a piece of lore like a paragraph like they will get like a yeah paragraph. yeah so if they get three pieces yeah. of lore, they'll get three paragraphs, and that'll usually give them a lot of info then, because they'll all be job-related. Yeah, I, I I think I did one with Mike there um, before we came back into the session for Wabu's character. He did a little bit of research um, specifically regarding the, the ring yes. uh, that he has. Um, and he actually rolled very high. He got a 20-plus, which I think he had a 23 or something, which grants him three pieces. So um, I told him three facts about the ring, or 
where, like I think I told him when it was created, what it might be related to, and where he could probably find more information about it. Uh, those are the three the three pieces of lore that I uh, I gave him. Um, and it, it's honestly like the fact that you, again to quantify it makes it super super easy for you to communicate to a player, uh, like you said, or or to give him maybe you, you say all right for every one piece of lore they get it's it's three to four lines or a short paragraph and then you can give them more and more depending on how because yeah. how those uh, those roles go I, I like doing that just because like in my head when i manage a piece imagine a piece of lore it's like you're you've been going it's like like you were saying earlier with gandalf in the archives he's like going through all the books and then there's like a random sheet of mm -hmm. paper stuck into one of the books that he opens it's like this is what i'm looking for and like in so in my head when you're like a piece of lore, i imagine like oh we found this and it's like either a passage from a book or like an old sheet of parchment or like maybe like a scroll rolled up with vellum and um, that's been like sat in you know, like a dusty cupboard for ages that kind of stuff but yeah i'm a big fan of research big big fan of research yeah yeah uh another big thing uh stray stray away from xanathar's for a little bit uh, another big thing that was done by Aerith, uh which i think pretty yes. much i don't think he did anything else so uh so Aerith is our party's uh blood hunter would have blood hunter um Slash rogue actually is a couple levels in rogue. Yes. Um. So he, he, I, I don't think he did a single other task on this sixteen week, this four month downtime. He literally just said, "I want to start a guild," and I was like, "Cool." Sixteen weeks later, you have a guild. <laughs> Six, sixteen weeks and quite a lot of goals later. Um. But he he luckily obtained sponsorship sponsorship for that. Um. To be fair, out of everything we've done, including my own stuff. The guild is still probably up there for like top three. I'm like, this is so cool. This is just it's so yeah, yeah. He basically started his own monster hunter slash blood hunter guild, um, which was accepted. Like this is the first time we've actually, uh, barring you, you technically have command of a small group of mercenaries called yes. the Grimguard. Yes, I do. Um, uh, but now there's this is like uh, they're kind of like a, an army that are kind of at your beck and call. They're not necessarily a, a business, so to speak. Um, or at least not in a very formal term, yep. but um, the Venatory Obscura, which is the name of the guild yes. uh, that Aerith started, they are that's it's a business. There's a guild hall, and there's people on the books, and there's a, a management and a receptionist and all this other stuff. Um, so there's there, it, it's it's very much a, a proper business. You've been hired by the Empire to do a job now. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. So he basically started up his own his own guild, and you have about twenty odd people working for you. So uh, you guys, you mentioned a while ago, you guys have your own. Um, titles within it as well we oversee certain things uh, and yeah it's uh it's interesting it's 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 a new it's uncharted waters for me as a dm as well because i'm like okay this is kind of cool maybe a, they the nerd in me wants to be like oh cool i'm going to make a spreadsheet and then i'm going <laughs> to map map all the roles week to week on how much money the guild is earning uh profit wise and stuff like that you just love um, making work for yourself don't you oh <laughs> uh, i'm a glutton for punishment um but yeah, I mean, it's it's exceptionally cool. Um, it's 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 feeding in to. I've always wanted someone to do it. And the, the cool thing is, right? Um, like uh, Gavin, who plays Aerith, uh, joined our game late. So you guys are already level six or seven, I want to say. Yeah, I think around that. Yeah. But as time, he went into the first downtime period and then uh, and then came out and started again. And a couple sessions after, he started into the new downtime or into the new post downtime one period if that makes sense i'm making that really convoluted um gavin joined the game and Aerith came to the party and the thing is when i started planning the campaign originally obviously you the three guys that are already there um gave me 
uh, what their backstories were, and I kind of worked that into the world. But uh, Eris kind of came out of left field, and I'm like, okay, I I've kind of a lot of stuff established, so it's a bit harder to work him in. Um, and he didn't really have a huge amount of uh, backstory. Well, he did, but not not in a, a terribly long way or anything like that. Um, he all he knew he wanted to do. He's like, I want to start. I want to start a guild. That was his entire character's uh, thing. He wants to start an organization because his his character was a, an elven rebel mm. uh, fighting against humans, and then in, in a in a bid for more power to be able to fight humans better, tried to make a pact with an otherworldly being, and aimed for Fae and ended up somewhere in the far realm. <laughs> um, and got scared shitless by what he saw, and he was like, oh my god, we're squabbling over land and countries, and there are literal planet-eating monstrosities on the edge of the universe that want to destroy everything in their path. Uh, and then he kind of lost he lost the, the flavor for being a rebel, and he's like, I'm going to go off and actually start killing these otherworldly monsters, because that's actually helping people on a much bigger scale than anything we were doing here. Um... And that's why he wanted to start the organization. He's like, I want to start a guild that other people can join, and then we'll all fight these other worldly beings together, all these aberrations, uh, and keep the keep the world safe. Uh, and it's cool now that that's kind of finally taken form mm -hmm. um, a few levels later. That you have an actual guild hall. You've set. You've put that. That's always a cool thing to me. Is is characters putting down roots? Yes. Because yeah. um, like, uh, I don't know. Even in like Skyrim and stuff like that, because Skyrim has the the house building ability. Or like something like Fallout Four, where um, where you actually have the like base building and, and settlement or, building um, options. Uh, probably a more direct parallel Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, where you can set up Assassin bureaus in all these different cities. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, and like, yeah. oh sorry, but I was just, like, it's like, like that's why I'm actually like really enjoying the guild stuff so much because I love Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Oh okay. Yeah. I love <laughs> I like I love just being able to walk down the road and then there's like a bunch of guys like, hey, Patso, I'm gonna fuck you up, and then you're like. And then arrows rain from the sky, and they all die. <laughs> and then you just see like eight of your dudes jump down onto the street, and you're like, "I'm good, boys." And then they just disappear. Like, oh, that's so. I like. I could. I feel. I'm getting the same kind of feeling from you're like, "Oh yeah, you've three squads, and they're called, and they're called like Arox, Basilisk, and Chimera." And I'm just like, "Oh, this is so cool. This is like me playing with my action men when I was like four. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's just like. It's just it's cool like the idea because anytime I play a video game where you get to have a base or something like that, I role play that an awful lot when I play a game. When I play a video game, I tend to like fall into that. Um, so like for example, Skyrim had the the heart is a heart the Hearthstone um, Hearthstone what's it called? Yeah, I think it, I think oh so, yeah, I think that's what it's called. Uh, I, I'm not the biggest on Skyrim. I should know because it's coming out again for the millionth time. Oh my god! I've never actually completed Skyrim. Uh, I, 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 man, it was years after the game initially came out that I finished. I, I played all the guilds, um, and I played side quests and I explored loads. Um, I didn't complete the main quest for like, I'd say a good like three or four years, if not more, uh, after the uh, no, it's 2011. Man, it might have been more. It might have been a good five years after the game came out that I actually completed properly for the first time. I think like I, the main quest. Line. I remember what stopped me playing was I got turned into a vampire by accident and then just went, ah, fuck this. <laughs> oh, you, yeah, you, you can you can catch vampirism. Yeah. Uh, let me see now. Show me the DLC. There's people listening to this going, it's obviously this color. How could you forget? <laughs> um... 
I think there's. Oh yeah, but sorry, no, we're talking about the. We're talking it's about it's the... Hearthfire. Hearthfire. Oh yeah. Dawnguard, Hearthfire, and Dragonborn. Uh, Hearthfire. Yes. So that DLC, although it wasn't perfect, that was a really cool thing because what you did is you you get a plot of land and you have to actually get the wood and nails and stone and clay and all that. And then you're like, I'm going to build a little house. And at first it's just a shack, but then it's like, oh, now it's, I can add this little wing and in the wing there's a trophy room for all my armors and stuff like that. Yeah. And there's three different sites you can pick to put down that. Or also, even in the main game without the DLC, you could uh, you can buy different homes in every major city in Skyrim. And I loved buying, because if, if you buy one of them, you can also buy furnishings for that room. And then it just it, it kind of it was nice because then the city that you're in kind of becomes your home base, yeah. and there's something familiar and comforting about that. I always did the the breeze home um, in uh, in White Run, uh, which is the first kind of town you you visit. It's the smallest, but it's also like it's cozy and it's really nice. And, and from a strictly mechanical perspective, uh, it's it's the shortest possible walking distance from where your chests are located in the house versus when you get to the front door. So if it's the smallest structure, it takes you the least amount of time to run in, go to your chest, get some items, and run back out again. You're optimizing your interior design. Oh, yeah, I was a, I was a pro Skyrim player. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love that. I, I like when players do that as well. Like, you know, you see, like, in Critical Role, they had, uh, Campion yeah. 1, they had Grayskull Keep. Um, a keep built in the major city and then that became their home city you know um, campaign 2 they uh, had the I, Slayer's Cake and they had another organization that I can't remember right now <laughs> where was their home base there did they have a home base in campaign 2 oh no sorry that's not campaign 2 that's just that's, that's just late campaign 1 my apologies that's late campaign 1 because that was when it uh, was that was after when, when Tarion when, when Tarion came along. Oh, but that was actually Whitestone as well. And yeah, they, they actually, like, ended up having... They had a business, they had the, the Slayer's Cake in, in Whitestone. And then they had... Um, Percy was obviously a lord, but he installed them in, like, positions of, like, nobility and, and whatever around town. And then they built up the town and did all this stuff. And, I mean, like, it's nice that you have a place that you can kind of call home. And, like, Temurai is going to become that for you guys now because you have a, a business that operates out of there... You have a regular bar that you, you've uh, gone to frequently, the low-end place. Uh, whose barman um, we hired. <laughs> whose barman you hired uh, to be your, your estate manager for the guild hall. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just nice. I don't know. It's something comforting about it. that Because it, obviously the, the typical adventurer beat is we travel from town to town, taking jobs, killing monsters and all that. But it's the, the, there's something very... I don't even know the word for it. There's just something very nice about players instead of just flitting from town to town and doing this they've actually to say that they've grabbed onto a part of the world and said we're going to build our house here or we're going to build our guild hall here and this is where we live and becoming familiar and on first name basis uh, basis with all the different characters in town and they and they know that okay i want to go and i want to get some bullets i'm going to go to the lock lock is the guy that does all the guns in town i'll go to lock i want to get some uh uh I want to go, I don't know, uh, and get some more uh, pet stuff or yeah. buy another pet or something like that. I want to go to the to Breeders Boutique because I know that's the pet store in this town because I'm now familiar with it. And it's it's a kind of, it's wholesome. And it's nice to know that players have kind of grabbed onto a part of the world and said, yes, this is mine. Yeah. I like this. I'm going to stay here. Um, while still exploring and adventuring elsewhere and stuff. But I mean, like, it's nice to be able to end a mission 
come back home and even though it's all in our heads and it's all make-believe the idea of saying my character grabs a couple of drinks from the kitchen which they own <laughs> walks up uh, and goes to bed and it's like it's nice that you know you're in your own room yeah and i to be able to say my room looks like this in the guild hall it has this on the wall and all this sort of yeah. stuff I wonder... posters of the latest uh mage boy bands <laughs> i wanted to do this last game but i didn't end up doing it it's like i want to have like i might do i might end up doing it for log this game but i want to have like a tony stark room where like like they're all sitting in, we're all sitting in the guild and they're like okay oh well, someone's someone's hired like specter team we are all, all the big guns need to come out um what mm. what are they sending us after okay so this is the creature we're sending us after okay ice damage grant and like he walks into a room and there's like ice resistant suit of armor here fire resistant mm. suit of armor here like just i was like literally doing a tony stark and just walking in like uh, red dragon today okay cool and like take their fire resistant plate out or something yeah yeah oh, so cool <laughs> so cool um yeah it's it i honestly uh it, it's a cool like i said it's uncharted waters for me i haven't done a guild i had players running a proper organization um and, and there's some great rules for it in sanathars and i think there's some rules in the player's handbook and dmg as well for running a business which is nice there's even rules um, for group patrons now as well if you want to make a, a if you like because ours is obviously um a blood hunter or a blood hunter slash monster slayer guild but like yeah uh, if Aerith was like a pact and a profane soul um sorry an order of profane soul blood hunter where he's basically like a warlock yeah. blood hunter like we could have we could have uh, filtered that into like a group patron as well and have like people joining the guild be like swearing to the patron and like we've just like a guild of warlocks that's actually a very good thing. I should definitely look up the group patron options because technically uh, you do have um, Lady Vivienne, who is um, the, your sponsor. She has basically funded and fronted a lot of the money for the guild uh, with the promise that it will you know, make people safer and stuff like that. Um, so I, I, I should actually definitely look at the group patron options and see if anything they might factor in with regards to her and the way the guild works and stuff like that. Uh, I took the wrong meaning of the word patron from that. What do you mean? <laughs> I took that as warlock patron rather than financial patron. Oh, yeah, I mean, but I think it works both ways. I think there's actually, um, like, like it can be an otherworldly being that you're all tied to, or it can literally be that you're, I think there's rules there for your patron being like a military commander that you all report to, or that you're all part of a guild and you all report to this one person in the guild. Uh, so I think there's a few different ones. I'd have to look through it. That might be a good idea for a future episode, actually. Um, talk about group patrons. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, um, honestly, with there's a bunch of other ones that you can go to as well. I know Wabu spent a ton of time in the fighting pits. He literally earned about fifteen hundred gold Holy over shit. the course of four months, and that was that was conservative. He had a few weeks that he came away with only fifty gold here and, yeah. and less, you know. Um, so he actually had a couple of bad weeks, and he still came away with about fifteen hundred gold over the course of four months, just in the fighting pits. Uh, if I had one criticism of the ones we've used so far. The, the standard work one, there is one there that you can, you can do gambling, yeah. you can do crime, uh, what's it now? You can do gambling, you can commit a crime, which is nice. And actually has some, the the rules are fun. Yeah. they're so brilliant. They're so brilliant. So you basically, you make a, a series, I think you make a, a series of checks or a couple of different checks, but then the DC is 10, 15, 20, 25. Um, with the robbery that you're trying to commit, the prize is different, and it goes 50, 100, 200, or 1,000 gold pieces of a robbery. Like, it, it could be very fun if there's any thieves in your party or anything like that might want to do, like, a, a heist in their downtime. Um, Ocean's Eleven. And, like, stuff. it's like, you're, you're, I don't know, you're reading the uh, the town crier is going by. It's like, oh, 
uh, town bank robbed at, at gunpoint. Uh, all the money's gone. Gold is gone. And then your rogue is there in the corner with a ton of new rings and some sunglasses <laughs> on. He's, he's like, I don't know anything about that. No, no ideas. Uh, uh, my, my one criticism of these uh, religious services there, research, uh, crafting magical items, and selling magical items is on that as well, which I think yep. is a good mechanic. So that like, it, it, there's a there's a couple of checks involved with trying to get the best price possible if you have a magic item you no longer want. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also one there for buying magic items. Like I don't want players buying magic items uh, off the shelf, so to speak. If um if they are, but I mean that that's kind of the thing of the DM. I will often just write out a short list of magic items that a place would have. They have all the standard consumable stuff like potions and all that. But like you know, I, I a, a shop isn't going to have. A full shelf's worth of belts of fire giant strength. They probably they might have one, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they have a small collection of very premium items. But um, if a player, the way I kind of see it is, DM can write whatever list they want to put in front of the characters. But if a character is looking for a very specific magic item, they can go look. I want I want this. I read the the DMG. I saw this magic item. I'd really like it for my character. I would say cool, definitely. Let's look at the buying a magic item table, and you can spend the money on trying to find it, uh, and you can make a couple of rolls and whatever, and then that's kind of the trade-off in that you get to pick the magic item, but you have to make the, the subsequent rolls and the, pay the money to find it, stuff like that. Honestly, if you had the proficiency, I would just make it. Oh, you could just make it as well. Yeah, yeah. that's very true. Yeah. Um, There's also... Maybe, yeah, I, I suppose that's only if you don't have the proficiency yeah. then, because, yeah. yeah. But even, even so, you could just find someone to make it for you as well, you know? Uh, stop undermining you, Martin. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, so my, okay, my one criticism here, and I only notice it because one of the players, Arkham, or well, sorry, Dan is a player, Arkham is a character. Um, Arkham did some standard work. He's, I guess, going to earn a bit of cash on the side. He's not someone who can go to the fighting pits. He's very frail um, <laughs> and doesn't have much. He is very frail. No, I was just laughing yeah. at the idea of Arkham in the fighting pit. <laughs> The, the so, bell wouldn't even have rung and he'd already be unconscious. It'd be like sending Gollum to fight the Urukai instead of Aragorn. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the standard work things, they, they, most of the rules are fine. Mm-hmm. The amount of money you earn is pretty kind of criminal. That, like, why would you... I just think, like, because, like, the way I, I did it up originally based on the rules that Dan made, right? And honestly, like I said, over uh, for for the fighting pits, Wabu can earn either nothing if he fails all three checks, or if he if he gets one, two, or three checks successful, he'll earn either fifty, a hundred, or two hundred gold, right? Which is like a nice chunk of money for a week's worth of work, mm-hmm. depending on how you roll. Uh, for like a week's worth of work, like and even a very high roll, uh, you'll earn what is a comfortable lifestyle based on the lifestyle tables and stuff like that, uh, plus 25. Which, honestly, comes out to... It, it, I, I forget, I'll have to look again. It's it's very little, whatever the comfortable lifestyle is. It's like a, like a gold or two. So he was coming out with like 27, 26, 27 gold a week. Uh, and I'm like, for the same amount of time that another player is putting in, yeah, you should, you should earn something comparable to it. Um, and like... We're not going to get into how the economy in D and D makes no sense because it doesn't. But because uh, because I know that like I, I guess the idea is that it's high risk, high reward when you're in a fighting pit and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, you should also be able to because it's also like 
with the fighting pit, you can actually make enemies. So you, you can roll on certain tables, and you might make a rival, or you might make an enemy. And the, there's complications that go along with all the different, um, all the different uh, downtime activities. Um, Which is great, by the way, so that your downtime just doesn't just end in downtime; it follows you into the actual campaign. That's the thing, yeah, yeah. And it could be something very simple, and it could be something, for, or or it could like some of them are good as well. Like uh, uh, here, like here's one of them for the work thing. A co-worker with ties to an important family in town uh, takes a dislike to you. Uh, uh, a, a difficult customer or a fight with a co-worker uh, reduces the wages you earn by one category. Uh, your employer's financial difficulties result in you not getting paid. Oh god, for that whole week. <laughs> That's rough. It's a yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty. It's pretty insane. But I mean, like, uh, so I think the complications are cool. I just feel like, I just feel like the numbers need to be tweaked on it. Mm. I basically did a thing. I think I multiplied it by ten, but then I also came up with my own like dice that I would roll. Um, so it's like two d six times ten or two d six times five gold, mm. uh, and then maximum you can end up with uh, with slightly more. I think you can get a maximum like one eighty or one eighty five gold. If you're a work week, with the figures I worked out, um, but then it's it's less than what a pit fighter will earn, which is potentially two hundred. But that's because pit fighters can also potentially earn nothing, mm -hmm. whereas someone who works will definitely earn some gold. Even if you roll very poorly, you'll still walk away with thirty, forty gold, something like that. You know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's my only real criticism of them. Other than that, I really, really, really love the downtime rules. Yeah. Uh, I just wish the the regular work. Uh, the the regular people need work as well. It can't all be adventurers and pit fighters and crafting magic items. What and we're like. saying is, rise up, my friends, overthrow. Ah, uh, yes, comrades. Yeah. Uh, uh, one thing I want to just give a quick shout out to as well because I don't think we mentioned it. Uh, you can also make a new spell during downtime if you are a, a yes. spellcaster. Uh, I know, I know. Technically, I believe that is limited to wizards, but I just in my game anyway, I went. Ah uh, no, yeah no. For anyone, anyone who whose magic can do it, screw it. Uh, so like my yeah. my sorcerer cat made a new spell. Uh, when my sorcerer found out, my druid immediately was like, "Wait, we can make spells?" And I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "I did not know this." And he was like, "Next downtime, mm. next downtime, I'm coming to you." <laughs> so uh, you actually mentioned this before. So what spell actually ended? Because this hasn't happened in our game. This has happened yes. in your own, your own game. So what actually spell got crafted? So, or uh, more devised. My, yeah, so my uh, it was my sorcerer, Morrigan, who is a draconic lineage sorcerer, specifically blue draconic lineage. So she's uh, specialised in like lightning-based attacks and stuff like that. Uh, mm -hmm. So she made, um, and I'm a, I'm a I, oh, I just realised I, I, I misspelled the title. Jesus Christ. But uh, it's it's Morrigan's Galvanic Manacles. Uh, it's a fourth level, uh, a fourth level evocation? Yeah, fourth level evocation spell. Um, where basically she stamps her foot and like on from the ground these like three strands of like electrified arcane chain like burst out or like sometimes they like actually burst out of horror as well start to like right. um damn there's a character i can't remember what character does that it, oh you wouldn't get the reference damn it uh sort of like naruka's man <laughs> um but yeah she uh, I, w I wouldn't get the reference i think there's uh it's actually if you're talking about that there, there's a character the puppet guy has some similar things where he can launch like these arms out of in Naruto, yeah, uh, he's a member of the the Sanju. Yeah, yeah, no, but uh, she's basically she shoots out these three strands of like magical electrified chain, and they like will seek out her three targets. It's any uh, up to three creatures within sixty feet. Um, they have to make a deck save, and then if they fail, they take sixty six lightning damage and are stunned until the start of the caster's next turn. Nice. Um. So uh, yeah, it, it's uh, and it's a spell attack roll. Then oh sorry, it's, oh, it's a dexterity save for all. But uh, if they make the save, then half the damage and no stun. 
but it's cool if they fail it's like okay. I, I always narrate it like uh, if they fail the save that like the chain just like rockets out towards them and if they fail the save it's like it latches onto them and like gets magnetized and loops around their neck and locks tight and like holds them there and it's like uh not like a strangulation but like it's almost like uh it being tased where they're just like locked into position constantly yeah yeah your, your whole body tenses up as yeah. a result yeah, yeah. but it, it's man stuns are it's like, it's like, it's like having three <laughs> taser guns just yeah. pop up pop, pop off on three pretty, pretty much exactly but yeah it's like these like cha- electric chains and it goes uh gets an extra d6 of damage for every spell slot above uh fourth above fourth yeah, yeah. fifth and higher yeah that's a, it's really cool i mean like and it's, I, I like that um because it's obviously a lot of spells we have in the game already have like a particular person's name attached to them yeah. those are characters that like gary gygax and a bunch of other old yeah. school makers of the game and stuff like that they their characters they played and that's why the spells are named as such because they're named for the the actual characters they were they were made for and um, so the fact that she included her own oh, name and on today just for flavor i included um uh, i just like the idea of it that there is a material cost for it and it's a uh, you need to have it uh, it's a link of broken chain is the material i like that yeah, yeah i just like that just because it seems cool and it's like such a wizard thing to carry it's like oh i have a, so it's like the fireball is like um guano and sulfur yeah yeah back yeah, so, one on sulfur yeah yeah so like the uh the, for me the i was like oh yeah we'll do something cool like that so like the chains are like you need like a shard of broken chain to be able to cast it like that's the focus you like grip onto it as you cast a spell and that's what like creates the the spectral chains yeah that's really fun that's definitely something that's really really cool it's uh it's it's one of the ones it's not listed here in xanathar's i don't think is it uh, i might be describing a spell scroll no, do you, know, uh, do, you know, do you know what I did? I think I used the rules for scribing a spell scroll in place of, ah, okay. in place of the rules for creating the spell. There is, there is um there is a rules for designing spells in the back of the DMG in the player in the DM's workshop section, I believe. Yeah. Oh no. So um, what I did was I used the spell scroll rules for deciding on time and cost. For right. Right. Because uh, I was like, okay, so it, it at its base level, it's a fourth level spell. So I said, so I said, what we'll do is for time and for cast. I said we'll we'll treat that like a fourth. Level. You're scribing a fourth level spell scroll essentially. Nice. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, pretty well. Very. Yeah, I I do like that. I I would like to see maybe that uh, expanded into the rules uh, yeah. officially uh, at some later point. Who, but, I, um, do you know what? Would not be surprised if that was in strict seven. Oh, actually, do you know what? With the way that they did the whole custom uh, subclass things, I can go with multiple classes, or they were originally doing that. Yeah, there you go. It, 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 would, it would definitely seem like they're... they're Obviously, they're, obviously it's going to be very magic-focused, but what I mean is it would seem like they're going for maybe some customization on that. If that's a if that's a recurring theme, uh, yeah, they may actually have... They'll definitely have new spells, if not um, a way to uh, yeah. customize spells for, for people. Or just play a, a sorcerer and take the, yeah. the magic that lets you swap damage on anything, so you can so have fireballs with acid. That's so... <laughs> Uh, or like a necrotic fireballs fireballs with a force ball that would yeah, be sick yeah. oh, that, oh that'd be so cool because you wouldn't see it it would just be like a, a completely see-through like transparent ball that just appears wave yeah it would that, yeah it's basically a bomb sorry that's just a bomb for <laughs> <laughs> yeah a force ball yeah force ball <laughs> please sir can you step out of the line we're gonna need to take you into this room we have to search you for force balls. Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> Jesus, they're definitely pulling out the glove for that. Oh, but Martin. <laughs> yes, Connor. On that note, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, yeah. Oh god! Sorry, I'm still dealing with the force ball. Um, yeah, no, that was that was a lot of fun, man. I like 
particularly because it's something that we've both just done and like I didn't mm-hmm. even get around to but like my fresh guys on the, fresh on the mind yeah my guys have a lot of fun with the guys I, I run have a lot of fun with their downtime as well and making mad stuff and like coming up with that and making the sheets for that I'm sure the same as for you is like one of the one of the very many pleasures of being a DM is you get to just make cool stuff all the time yeah, it's it's one of the ones I, I would definitely recommend um, for DMs because it, it's not it's not like it's a core part of the game. Personally, I think it, it's I, I think it's important now having done it. I don't, obviously played the entire first campaign, never having used it. Um, but now I look at it, and I'm like, that's a very valuable part. I don't think I'll be able to go without going forward. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I would definitely recommend it if you haven't used it, even for players who are maybe more about just killing monsters and, and combat and looting. Maybe try and just give them a, a taste of it, because honestly, when you get to see the input you have, and if, even for players like I just want to roll dice, kill things, and all that kind of stuff, if you tell them that with downtime they could craft a sword that has blue flames coming off it or something like that, that might sway them uh, towards the idea of downtime being pretty cool and let them have a bit more input themselves uh, on the game. So hell yeah. Uh, if uh, if you have any questions you'd like us to ask, stories you'd like us to share, or topics you'd like us to cover, please tweet us at MikeFlairsPod on Twitter. It's on the lower screen. Uh, you can find our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor. So there's a couple others. Breaker and Radio Public. Breaker. I, I have theirs on a lower line. Yes, Breaker and Radio Republic. Um, Martin, where can people reach you on the internet? Uh, most often can be found here on the MikeFlairs podcast. Um, other than that, uh, you can find me on Twitter at so sorry it's over, which will be in just below my uh, cam here. Uh, you can also find me a lot of the time on the MikeFlairs Twitter account. Um, I usually tell when I'm on if there's because like, if there's any tweets going out about like three, four a.m. Irish time, yeah, it's me. It's definitely me. Um, but yeah, other than that, mainly you can find me right here on the MikeFlairs podcast every Friday, six p.m. Irish time. What about you, Connor? Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at zero point Connor Z E R O P O I N T C O N O R one N. Oh, I forgot it this week. God damn it! Sorry. I was watching you. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm uh, tired. <laughs> and also every Friday here on the Mike Flares podcast at six p.m. Irish time. Uh, so guys, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed that episode on downtime. Uh, we might revisit this at a later point if we do any more interesting downtime activities in the, in the coming months. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you all next time. Bye Have bye a good folks. one.